You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. Welcome to our special Living for the Bond series. Now, even though I love movies of all types from all different eras, my overall favorite film franchise is the James Bond series, which technically started in 1962 with the release of Dr. No, which starred Sean Connery and was directed by Terrence Young. This franchise has now endured for over almost six decades. And over the next two months, I'll be revisiting one entry starring a different Bond every two weeks, leading up to the upcoming U.S. release of the 25th official installment of this franchise, No Time to Die, which is coming out on October 8th. I hope. We are here to discuss Die Another Day, which came out in 2002 and was directed by Lee Tamahori. It stars Pierce Brosnan, Halle Berry, Rosamund Pike, Toby Stevens, Rick Yoon, Judy Dench, Will Yun Lee, and John Cleese. And the genre would, of course, be spy action thriller. Now, every major franchise has their black sheep entries, and it seems that this has become a major one for the Bond saga, even more so than Diamonds Are Forever or A View to a Kill at this point. In fact, you'll find more diehard fans willing to defend those films than this one, which... Despite making strong money upon release and receiving relatively solid reviews, Die Another Day is often referred to as irredeemably bad. And that's not helped that its successor was the universally beloved Casino Royale, which was Daniel Craig's first entry and came out a few years later. This was Pierce Brosnan's final entry in the saga. And yeah, by this point, he had already starred in two prior Bond films, The World Is Not Enough and Tomorrow Never Dies, which had received decidedly mixed reactions. So revisiting this film now, is it that bad? Well, let me start with the stuff which I will happily defend. First things first, everything related to Madonna. I'm sorry, I know I'm in the minority here, but I'm just not on the train of hating that title song. I like Die Another Day. I like that song. It's catchy, and it it works for me, and it's a good Madonna song. Now, the strange opening credit sequence with images of dancing ice women over blurry images of Bond being tortured with Madonna's song playing over it, well, it's different, and it's a choice. I don't think it really works, but that's not the fault of the song, and that's not Madonna's fault. And yeah, I even like her cameo as the fencing instructor. She looks great, she's kind of witty, and she's honestly just given three or four lines that work, just bantering with Pierce Brosnan. There is he. James Bond. Your lesson. you handle your weapon well. I have been known to keep my tip up. It's really not much, but it's just the right amount of Madonna. Her character and her presence fits well into the world established by this point, so why not? One other aspect of this film that I will defend is Halle Berry, her performance as Jinx. She serves as both Bond's NSA rival and also his love interest. Now, yes, she's given some very clunky dialogue along the lines of ask your mama, but her performance is actually pretty good. Halle Berry comes off as both whip-smart and a worthy bruiser for the action. And kind of horny, 
just like Brosnan's Bond. So what's the issue? She looks great. So does Brosnan in this. She has some cheesy one-liners, but so does Brosnan. She is supposed to be playing his female equivalent, and for the most part, Halle Berry really succeeds. It feels too often that folks just lazily lump this performance in with her ghastly turn as Catwoman, which would come out the following year. And she got a lot of bad reviews, Razzie Awards, you name it, for playing Catwoman. But this is not even close. She's good in this movie. Magnificent view. It is, isn't it? Too bad it's lost on everybody else. Mojito? You should try it. Jacinta Johnson. My friends call me Jinx. My friends call me James Bond. Jinx, you say? Born on Friday the 13th. You believe in bad luck? Let's just say our relationships don't seem to last. Mm, I know the feeling. One other thing I will defend about Die Another Day, the invisible car. It's actually called The Vanish, and it's actually not a bad idea on paper. It's overall a pretty memorable-looking car with its share of nifty gadgets. And what also helps is that John Cleese, who took over the role of Q, he's the one who introduces it in a pretty witty scene. Your new transportation... Maybe you've been down here too long. The ultimate in British engineering. You must be joking. As I learned from my predecessor, Bond, I never joke about my work. Aston Martin call it the vanquish, we call it the vanish. Oh, very good. Adaptive camouflage, tiny cameras on all sides project the image they see onto a light-emitting polymer skin on the opposite side. You see, to the casual eye, it's as good as invisible. However, is it really utilized that well? Well, not really, considering that Bond actually barely drives it, and when he does, it's pretty much on ice or snow, when he's most likely to leave tracks. So overall, I kind of dug the invisible car, and I just felt it would be put to better use in a different setting, but it's actually a pretty cool idea and a pretty cool gadget. And one final thing I will defend about Die Another Day, the ice castle in Iceland. As villains' lairs go, it's actually pretty unique, and I like the design of it. Peter Lamont was the art director slash production designer going back years to previous Bond films, all the way going back to The Spy Who Loved Me back in 77. Now, he's no Ken Adams, and Ken Adams was the guy who did some of those earlier Bond films with the amazing sets, like the Volcano Lair or Moonraker's Headquarters for Space. He's no Ken Adams, but you could tell that he's really going for it. I really like the diamond-shaped chandeliers and those crown-shaped chairs made of ice. However, to be fair, when we see the ice castle in long shots, well, that brings me to things that I cannot defend about this film. And one thing I still cannot defend about Die Another Day is the CGI. Wow. Not only does the ice castle look cartoonish in long shots, thanks to poorly rendered CGI, but so does everything else. This was likely the first film in the franchise to rely so much on CGI for its visuals and large-scale action. And thankfully, it seems to be the last, as every Daniel Craig entry since then has more relied on old-fashioned stunt work and in-camera effects for major set pieces. Director Lee Tamahori, he just uses the CGI for everything, including characters doing swan dives off of cliffs. And of course, the most egregious example is that lasting image. <laughs> I posted it on the Instagram, the Facebook, we've seen it, <sighs> of poor Pierce Brosnan windsurfing 
off a starkly white glacier onto bright blue water. All of this looks better suited to a 32-bit Qbert game. Just awful. And one other thing I will not defend about Die Another Day is the villain. Gustav Graves, as played by Toby Stevens, he just feels like some weird, creepy amalgam of Richard Branson and Puck from the real world. That's a dated reference. He's just all sneer and endless ruminations about his, quote, dreams. He feels more like an annoyance than an actual threat. Glad you could make it, Mr. Bond. How did you like my run? Look like a man on the edge of losing control. It's only by being on the edge that we know who we really are. Under the skin. Take your Donald Campbell. 1967, the Bluebird, water speed record. Huh. Campbell died on his return run. Yeah, but he died chasing a dream. Isn't that the way to go? I'd rather not go at all. I see you don't chase dreams, you live them. One of the virtues of never sleeping, Mr. Bond. I have to live my dreams. Besides, plenty of time to sleep when you're dead. And we spend so much time on his character, and yet his backstory is underdeveloped, and his overall plot slash plan, it just doesn't make much sense. For starters, why does he personally invite both Bond and Jinx to the demonstration of his supposed secret weapon? And he also goes to all the trouble of having his genes spliced in Cuba so that he can be transformed from the Korean Colonel Moon to this British fop. Big secret right there. He's a different face, different guy. But apparently everyone in his organization and the North Korean military already knows about this, with the exception of his father. And this just leads to more questions. And that's something else I cannot defend about Die Another Day. And that is the overall plot. Why is there so much emphasis on diamonds when we never really understand how they're applied to the technology that Graves has developed? Speaking of which, he has created the Icarus. It's a satellite in space, which can reflect massive amounts of sunlight to any other part of the planet. So yes, he has the power to bring day, the sun, to areas that are at night. That's a pretty big advancement there, right? That's pretty big. And his main use for it is to clear landmine fields between North and South Korea? There are just so many half-baked ideas in this screenplay. There's also a subplot involving VR, which just seems there to set up a lame gag involving Money Penny towards the end. There's also a timeline established involving Bond being basically kept prisoner by the North Koreans for about 14 months, yet he's coming into a plot by Graves slash Moon that was actually set into motion three years before he gets released. It all ends up making about as much sense as the resolution for Avengers Endgame. Now that said, the rest of the film is an ambitious mixed bag. The action sequences are hit or miss, though I do really like the quickly escalating fencing match between Bond and Graves. Hey, it's fun to watch these guys try to play it smooth while trashing the whole fencing club around them. And to his credit, Toby Stevens really holds his own physically in that sequence. And sadly, well, sort of, Brosnan is actually very good in this, despite the silliness he finds himself embroiled in. He takes the whole story sufficiently seriously, he gives it his all convincingly in the action sequences, and he has great chemistry with Barry. And he also still brings plenty of his signature charm and swagger to the character. This is still Bond at the end of the day. He plays him well, especially when we see him early on, strutting proudly, all bearded and shirtless, into a Hong Kong waterfront hotel after escaping the authorities. Overall, Die Another Day just has too many good elements to be considered all-out bad, but not nearly enough to be considered actually good. So I'll just call it mediocre. <laughs> In the bottom half of Bond film canon, and I'll say this, it's possibly the best, the second best Brosnan Bond, now well behind Goldeneye, but still a notch above the previous two, which I have rewatched recently, and that it just doesn't at least feel as bland or as generic as they do. Overall, this is its own weird, crazy little thing, and I can appreciate that. 
And that brings me to the categories. The first category, because this is the Living for the Bond series, is the best Bond bit. This series has so many elements which carry over from installment to installment. Opening credit sequence, Bond girls, henchmen, villain's lair, gadgets, cold open, final fight, you name it. And this award goes to the one of those things that stands out the most for this particular entry in the Bond franchise. And I'll just say this. The best Bond bit for Die Another Day is also the MVP. So we'll get to that a little later. And that brings me to the next category, which is best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Now, even though I quite like the title song by Madonna, and I know I'm in the severe minority on that, I can't say it's used in the best way. However, throughout the film, we are treated to one of the more inventive scores in the franchise by post-reboot stalwart David Arnold. Now, after legendary composer John Barry, who remains one of my favorite composers of all time, after he left the franchise in the 80s, he had huge shoes to fill, to say the least. His scores for most of the Connery and more Bond films were unassailable, genuinely ahead of their time, incorporating a lot of modern elements into otherwise classical-sounding scores. Nobody could utilize a brass section to punctuate a scene like John Barry could. But next to Barry, no other composer has done as many Bond films as David Arnold. He composed the scores for the last three Brosnan Bond films, along with the first two starring Daniel Craig. And while I would say he wasn't quite on the level of John Barry, he came pretty close at times, including this score, which has a lot of techno beats throughout, but still retains the charm of the classic Bond movie sound. His high point for this film has to be the climactic, dueling cars on ice face-off between Bond and Zhao, who is Gustav Graves' diamond-faced henchman, effectively played by Rick Yoon. Now, the scene itself is ridiculous, but kind of fun. As both of these cars are shooting so many missiles coming out from under the hoods, you wonder if there's actually any room for engines while these things are driving. It's the pounding score that gives the scene its weight, and the track is called Bond vs. Zhao. It remains one of Arnold's finest moments for the franchise. And that brings me to the next category, which would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, this is surely to be a controversial choice, as many of this film's biggest detractors have praised her performance, but sorry. The talents of Rosamund Pike are wasted in the role of Miranda Frost, who, spoiler alert, ends up being the MI6 double agent who has betrayed Bond. Now, I like the idea of this character. And as Pike brilliantly showed in her Oscar-nominated performance 12 years later in Gone Girl, she definitely has the chops to deliver someone who is cold, calculating, seductive, and just flat-out brutal when she needs to be. And I think Pike does what she can with this character performance-wise. She looks and sounds the part just right. Unfortunately, her character is severely underwritten. And she's just not given much to do besides mainly delivering expositional dialogue, pretty much. Explaining what she's doing 
Seriously, why couldn't she be the main villain? Give her more and Toby Stevens less as Gustav Graves. Have her be the secret brains behind his crazy plan. She could have been one of the great Bond villains. She had the potential there. Now, granted, this was early in her career, and maybe the producers and Lee Tamahori just didn't think that Pike was ready for this kind of role. She was only 23 when this was filmed. But I can now confidently say that they were proven wrong 12 years later when she blew everyone else off the screen in Gone Girl. She is your wasted talent. Before you leave on your mission for Iceland, tell me what you know of James Bond. He's a double O, and a wild one, as I discovered today. He'll light the fuse on any explosive situation and be a danger to himself and others. Kill first, ask questions later. I think he's a blunt instrument whose primary method is to provoke and confront. A man nobody can get close to. A womanizer. Well, you're going to be seeing a lot more of him in Iceland. With great respect, a man like him could blow my cover. And that brings me to the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this film. If you want to sell it to somebody, this is what you show them. I have to say that I still love when Bond walks into the lobby of a brightly lit, swanky Hong Kong hotel wearing blue hospital scrubs with his unbuttoned top widely opened, showing off the hamburger meat, barefoot, a mop of unruly hair, and that unkempt beard. Yes, he has been tortured by the North Korean military for 14 months. He's probably soaking wet from swimming through the harbor. And he's basically just a walking, hairy mess at this point. But he's still Bond, damn it. And he's going to walk in calmly and proudly with his chest puffed out. Brosnan sells this moment as well as anyone could. As does the gifted composer David Arnold, who dishes out the Bond theme with just a slight tempo beat in the background. Seeing this scene, it reminds me again why Brosnan was hired for this role in the first place. My usual suite, please. Mr. Bond, so good to see you. It's been a long time. Mr. Chang, perhaps you could send out my tailor and some food. The lobster's good, with quail's eggs and sliced seaweed. Mm-hmm. And if there's any left, uh, 61 Bollinger. Of course. Been busy, have we, Mr. Bond? Just surviving, Mr. Chang. Just surviving. And that brings me to the final category, the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. And this is merged with the best Bond bit, because this would be the Bond girl. I am tempted to pick Brosnan, but the sad thing about this film's legacy is that Die Another Day is often referred to as the lousy Bond movie with Halle Berry. And I'm going to dispense with that BS right now. Halle Berry's performance as Jinx and just her overall presence in this bizarre, over-the-top world that this film inhabits, it's one of the best things about Die Another Day, and pretty much what sets it apart from the blandness of the previous two Brosnan Bond films. She's compelling, funny, sexy, and she pulls off the rare feat of playing a Bond girl who not only holds her own with him in the charisma department, but also has very convincing chemistry with him as well. Now seriously, Pierce Brosnan remains one of the smoothest, dashing, most attractive men to grace the silver screen in my lifetime. And because of that, you'll be hard-pressed to name, even on one hand, the number of actresses who could share the screen with him in a compelling manner. Going back through Pierce Brosnan's filmography, I can only recount one other one, and that's The Thomas Crown Affair with Rene Russo. Really good film. 
So even though this film misses the mark on so many fronts, this film is still worth watching for Holly Berry. She pretty much steals the film from the dude playing Bond, no less, and through no fault of his own, because she's a top-flight actress and movie star. She won an Oscar just the year before this for Monster's Ball. James, here for the penguins this time, or for the view again? Right now, I'm only interested in endangered species. Oh, well, does that include me? Depends on what you're up to this time. So I left you in an explosive situation. You're a big boy. Figured you could handle yourself. No wonder your relationships don't last. I'm a girl that just doesn't like to get tied down. Eon, the production company in charge of Bond, they were onto something in the early 2000s trying to develop a spin-off film for Jinx. And it's a shame that it never happened. Watching her years later, now holding her own with Keanu in John Wick Chapter 3, and kind of stealing that movie from him, I still hope to see her once again take on a big genre film like this. And yeah, Halle Berry's, she's 55, but both Keanu and Tom Cruise have a few years on her, and they're still doing it, so who knows? My rating for Die Another Day would be... Two stars out of five. Now, is this the worst Bond film ever? No. No. In fact, as I said before, I think it's actually better than the previous two Brosnan films. But is it a good film? Not really. No, it isn't. And I can see why Eon went to the lengths they did to reboot the franchise with Casino Royale and Daniel Craig four years later. And that film speaks for itself. But if you are a Bond fan and you like certain elements of the Bond films, there's things to enjoy about it. And yes, I actually think it's better than A View to a Kill and Diamonds Are Forever, which are probably the worst films from Connery and Roger Moore, respectively. So it's not terrible, but it's not good. But if you are looking to watch Die Another Day, it is available to rent or buy on all streaming platforms. And that ends another icy review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast. And follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Cinema.